All right, let me uh, ask you about uh, Coffee County. When did the Secretary of State's office first know about Coffee County? Oh, very early on, and uh, we put investigators on it. Did you? Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, early on, you put investigators on it. Really? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. They're everywhere. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and coast to coast and around the globe everywhere else. I don't have time to read all the affiliates for you today because we've got that big of a show. But glad you could join us. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from brandblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And, yep, we are heading back to Georgia again. Because, <laughs> of course. Uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Because apparently... You know, uh, like a dog with a bone, we just can't let it go. Uh, among other reasons uh, for that, uh, what happened during the statewide voting system breach by Donald Trump's MAGA operatives in rural Coffee County, Georgia, some 200 miles south of Atlanta and Fulton County, still affects the ability for there to be a clean election in the critical battle presidential battleground state next year. And yes, even in about a dozen other states which use similar or identical touchscreen voting systems to carry out their elections. So what happened in 2020, or in this case 2021, in that now infamous voting system breach in Coffee County still affects us today and will affect us next year. But it's also we're back uh, to this story because we've got some new long awaited information in the case. Sort of. Uh, I have to explain, but we have been covering the Coffee County breach, which first took place on January 7 of 2021, the day after the Donald Trump in, uh, incited insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. We've been covering it on this program since at least May of 2022. When we were the first to air the now infamous phone call of Atlanta bail bondsman Scott Hall, essentially confessing to frequent broadcast guest and longtime election integrity champion Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, that he and a bunch of MAGA right-wingers paid for and or organized by Trump attorney Sidney Powell had secretly and unlawfully opened, copied, and distributed the state's incredibly sensitive Dominion voting system software. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers and they scanned all the equipment imaged all the hard drives they imaged the hard drives yes how in the world did you get permission to do that we basically had the entire elections committee there okay and they said we give you permission go for it go for it 
Marilyn Marks and her coalition, who have you heard Marilyn on that call there, uh, they have had a longstanding lawsuit since 2017 against the state's unverifiable touchscreen voting systems and its Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. They were ultimately responsible for discovering and revealing the information that led to the indictments of Scott Hall and Sidney Powell, former Coffee County GOP chair and 2020 fake elector Kathy Latham, and then Coffee County election supervisor Misty Hampton, along with Donald Trump and about a dozen others in Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis's sprawling conspiracy case for their efforts in attempting to steal the 2020 election in Georgia. While much of the nation may now finally be somewhat familiar with the Coffee County breach, thanks to that indictment, the full story of what happened there and its potential effect on next year's election has not only been largely untold by the mainstream media, but it remains largely uninvestigated to this day by officials in Georgia, including its state election board, its secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, its Republican attorney general, Chris Carr, and as we are learning again this week, thanks to a detailed report from our guest joining us momentarily, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, or GBI itself, which has supposedly been running its own criminal investigation of the breach of the statewide voting system software in Coffee County for about a year and a half. And yet, whether we can call it an investigation remains unclear. I suspect my guest will have a thought on that. Other than Fonnie Willis's local indictment in Fulton County, of about five people who were involved specifically with the breach, there were likely dozens more. Uh, nobody has been criminally charged by state authorities for this, and the breached voting systems remain both in use and unpatched across the entire state with critical security patches created by Dominion Voting Software for them. Uh, and recommended for them, recommended for immediate use by the Federal Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, uh, those systems remain unpatched and vulnerable since the breach way back in January of 2021. Now, all the while, as we've been reporting on this show over and over again, the office of Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger who is viewed as a hero, frankly, by too many, even on the left, because he refused to steal the 2020 election in Georgia for Donald Trump, he has seemingly been doing his best to cover up the entire Coffee County matter, as far as I can tell, despite the risks posed to the state's elections next year because of it. For example, here was Brad Raffensperger's top voting system lieutenant, Gabe Sterling, at a Carter Center election integrity event back in April of 2022, a full year after the breach was known, denying that it ever happened. We had claims, even recently, there was people saying, we went to Coffee County, we, we imaged everything. There's no evidence of any of that. It didn't happen. But it did happen. 
Raffensperger and the Georgia State Board of Elections assured the federal court in April and June of last year in the coalition's curling v. Raffensperger civil lawsuit that they were aggressively investigating the breach allegations, but they apparently conducted no interviews, requested no documents, they subpoenaed nobody. They claimed for months that they could not access, for example, the Coffee County election server that they had seized from the coffee office way back in June of 2021 because someone had changed its password. So the system had been compromised as of January 2021, but no forensic investigation of the central election server in Coffee County, the brains of the system as used statewide in Georgia. No forensic investigation was undertaken for months by the State Board of Elections or its Secretary of State, long after they had heard Scott Hall's recorded admissions to Marilyn Marks, which we first aired in May of 2022. It wasn't until July of 2022 that the State Board of Elections and the Secretary of State tasked a forensic expert to finally review the server that they had seized more than a year earlier. According to the coalition's probe, the office determined that in fact, the Secretary of State's office determined that in fact, signs of system tampering were evident. But the state did still did nothing. They did not even secure the electronic records on the administrative computers down in Coffee County that might have detailed the whole plot. The Georgia Bureau of Investigations, meanwhile, which was supposedly conducting their own criminal investigation, also did not bother to obtain the desktop computer of the county's election supervisor, Misty Hampton, who has since been indicted in the Funny Willis-Fulton County conspiracy case, until this past June of 2023, almost two and a half years since the breach actually occurred and almost a year since they had claimed they had opened their criminal investigation into the matter. How many people in Coffee County might have accessed and or changed or deleted files on that computer in the meantime? So what is going on here? If nothing else, the nearly 400-page report by the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, which was recently obtained finally by media outlet Lawfare, proves that, well, yeah, the breach did happen, but frankly, it does not offer much more than that. As Lawfare's Anna Bauer reports this week at Lawfare, one could be forgiven for thinking initially that the GBI's report on Coffee County is an authoritative account. It is, after all, nearly 400 pages long, and those pages summarize a voluminous body of evidence. But the document turns out to reflect a less vigorous investigation of the effort to unlawfully access the state's voting machines than may initially appear. The document suggests, rather, that the GBI did not investigate the Coffee County affair fully at all. The agency relied almost entirely, writes Bauer, on the previous work of civil litigants. That would be the uh, Marilyn Marks and the Coalition for Good Governance. It relies on that and the U.S. House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. It failed 
to seek interviews with key witnesses, and it omitted relevant evidence that is readily available, even in already public documents. What the report suggests about the GBI's underlying investigation, she writes, is sufficiently baffling as to warrant serious scrutiny. The quality of the GBI report matters because the Fulton County investigation focused on the Coffee County caper only insofar as it reflected the larger RICO conspiracy that it alleged. The GBI report was supposed to look more broadly at crimes that may have been committed in what amounted to a theft of government property organized by insiders and outsiders alike in Georgia. In short, writes Bowers, as a report, the GBI document amounts to a tolerable summary of the readily available evidence. As an investigation that took more than a year to complete, it seems to reflect a badly inadequate effort. Now, Bowers' own extremely detailed 6,500-word report at Lawfare this week, detailing both the very few new findings and many more full omissions from the GBI report, concludes this way. She writes, in addition to her jurisdictional limitations, Fonnie Willis has relatively limited resources compared to that of statewide or even nationwide law enforcement agencies. For this reason, it necessarily fell to the GBI to thoroughly and completely investigate the alleged crimes in Coffee County. The agency's investigative report, however, suggests that it has not done that. And her final line, memo to Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr. You have been ill-served by your investigative department. There's still a lot of work to do. Joining us now is Lawfare's legal fellow and courts correspondent and very helpfully a Georgia native, Anna Bauer, who has been doing indispensable work on both the Coffee County breach and the Fulton County indictments. And by the way, is a must follow for that and much more on Twitter. Anna Bauer, I'm a longtime uh, follower myself and delighted to finally have you on the broadcast. Welcome to it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm really happy to be here. I, I know that you've been covering Coffee County in depth as well. And so I'm I'm excited to be here and to chat about it with you. Finally, talking to somebody else other than Marilyn Marks who understands what's going <laughs> on here. I, I note that the shortest uh, section in your uh, 6,500 word piece at Lawfare this week uh, on the GBI's nearly 400 page supposed criminal probe of Coffee County, the shortest section is the one headlined The New Details. It seems that uh, uh, Marilyn Marks of the coalition uh, and the January 6th committee did pretty much all the legwork here for the GBI, who you note, uh, quote, in total interviewed only about 15 individuals. Many, if not most, of those interviews were conducted in under an hour. So, Briefly, and Anna, it shouldn't even take that long, I think. Uh, can you give me an example of what, if anything of note, was added by the GBI's investigation to what we already know about this mess? 
Right. So there, there's really not a whole lot of new details, and and the de- new details that there are in this in this report are are mainly kind of inconsequential or just not essential to the investigation. Um, there's there's some things I found interesting, you know, as someone who follows this matter closely, but it's not really necessarily of investigative interest. However, there is one substantial factual development that the GBI did make in this report. So to that end, I I do think that they at least deserve a little bit of credit for that, although I will say that if you read the report, which kind of gives a an overview of kind of what the GBI did and 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 how they um, did it and and when they did it. Um, this factual development did not come until, you know, a year after or basically a year after they started the investigation. It, it seemed like they kind of waited a, a while to to really look into this. So let me explain, though, what it is. Yeah, there is this uh, for a while in the whole Coffee County saga. Of course, it, it has been alleged in Fulton County that the the work uh, that was carried out by Sullivan Strickler, the forensics team that went in and copied mm-hmm. everything on January 7th, it, it was alleged in the Fulton County indictment that that is unauthorized or unlawful access. But people like Sidney Powell, uh, who recently just pleaded guilty in Fulton County, but mm-hmm. prior to that, she had been saying, you know, or her attorney had been saying that this was work that that was carried out at least under color of authority and that they had a written invitation to come in and and copy all of the voting system data. Mm -hmm. We also, you know, had these text messages that came out in the curling litigation in which another uh, Trump attorney, Catherine Fries, referenced a written invitation to access Coffee County systems. Mm -hmm. So there was this mystery of, you know, what is this written invitation? Did it actually you know, at least uh, under the cloak of authority, even even if it wasn't legitimate authority, uh-huh. did it give anyone reason to think there was actually authorization to go in and copy all this stuff? And it wasn't until the GBI obtained a search warrant over the summer, um, again, you know, about 11, 10 to 11 months after they began their investigation. Yeah, actually, let me, be, let, me, let me be clear about that. Over the summer, you mean over this past summer? Right? Over, yes, over this okay. past summer. So, so I two mean, it's years, something two and a that, half years right, since right. the mm-hmm. breach. Okay, go ahead. So, yeah, two and a half years after after the breach, and yeah. then of course, you know, they started their investigation the previous summer, and it wasn't until this summer yeah. <laughs> that that they sought the search warrant to go and get. Uh, the data from the desktop computer in yep. the elections office in Coffee County. <laughs> yep. That was what allowed them to find the written invitation that that was authored by uh, Misty Hampton, according to the report. Misty Hampton, of course, was the election supervisor right. who who was present during the breach on January seventh and the subsequent breaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what we learned from that written invitation is that it is not, in fact, a a written invitation to to come in and copy virtually every component mm-hmm. of the Coffee County voting systems. She writes in 
in that letter, I will be speaking with my board. And, you know, according to Georgia law, uh, I don't see a problem assisting y'all with anything that you need. And y'all are welcome in, in the office anytime. And, you know, I have a detailed piece on mm -hmm. this that people can read kind of analyzing why this would not be sufficient to constitute a written invitation. But what it does not say is, the Board of Elections has, you know, voted and and we've uh, said that, you know, a forensics team can come in and, and copy the voting systems and yeah. you can have all of that. The other thing we learned as well is that she wrote this in response to a purported open records request uh, from an attorney named Preston Halliburton, who is a Georgia attorney who uh, has also represented uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, and the Giuliani legal team during the po Trump's post-election efforts, during various you know legislative hearings that mm -hmm. were going on about uh, the 2020 election at that time, and then. Preston Halliburton, of course, also represented Kathy Latham at one of those hearings. Yeah. And Kathy Latham is the former Coffee County GOP chairwoman who uh, is now indicted in Fulton County and is waiting trial. So hopefully that's not too confusing. Uh, I know there's a lot of characters here, but that kind of sums up what the big substantive contribution of the GBI report yeah. is. Yeah, and that ain't much. For a 400-page report <laughs> that took uh, two and a half years to to even get this far, uh, some yeah, some some ties to uh, the, the the DC team essentially, uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani and so forth, and but not much. I mean, so the omissions uh, section of your article, the things that weren't in the GBI report. Uh, is much longer. And troublingly, the stuff they left out is stuff that is already on public record, but um, left out of the report. That's the longest part of your review. You note that the GBI's report apparently began in November of 2020, but then uh, the, the actually the investigation doesn't begin, but that's when they uh, their timeline when they're looking into this begins. But then it sort of jumps forward from November 2020 to New Year's Eve when there was a group text message among the eventual breachers claiming that they were sent uh, a written invitation to examine the software in Coffee County. And as you write, this account by the GBI does not even attempt to answer certain key questions. Who devised the plan to access voting systems in Coffee County. When did the plan first arise? Who or what connected the then-president's attorneys to several locals in rural South Georgia, of all places? The report bizarrely omits readily available facts that help connect these dots. Readily available because it's stuff that is already on the public record, thanks again to Marilyn Marks and so forth. One of those readily available facts is the now very well-reported, now sort of infamous, crazy meeting in Trump's Oval Office on December 18, 2020, with Trump and Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn and others, described as the most insane White House meeting ever, wherein they discussed the executive, uh, the draft executive orders to have the military take the uh, nation's voting systems and then decided instead on this plot to breach the voting systems in Coffee County. Uh, but that meeting where they apparently hatched this scheme is not even discussed or investigated or even mentioned 
in the GBI report? It is not. It, 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 it's not brought up in the GBI report. You know, I, I it's which is just pretty bizarre to me because, yeah. like I said, it kind of just jumps from Sidney Powell making an engagement agreement with Sullivan Strickler, the forensic forensics firm mm -hmm. in sometime in November. And then all of a sudden we get to December and Rudy Giuliani's attorney, Preston Halliburton, is requesting, uh, uh, is making this request that then prompts Misty Hampton to send the so-called letter of invitation. There is no account of how we got from, you know, Sullivan Strickler engagement agreement to Rudy Giuliani's attorney uh, a asking Misty Hampton for access to things. So it, it really is just kind of like, wait, what? Uh, how did we yes. get there? Um, and it seems like this is a key kind of moment. Uh, the January 6th committee uh, depositions, if you if you look at them closely, you see that, you know, people like Derek Lyons and, and Sidney Powell uh, say to the committee that Rudy Giuliani in that infamous unhinged December 18th White House meeting, that he uh, had this alternative proposal to the proposal that the Powell team had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, seize voting machines through executive order in which he says you know in some some way in some way the campaign would be able to obtain by voluntary access access to voting machines in Georgia uh, and he did not say in in that meeting as far as I'm aware there's not any public you know record of, of whether he said specifically Coffee County Georgia but the very next day after that meeting, he goes on Steve Bannon's podcast and he's talking about, you know, getting access to machines in Coffee County, Georgia. So there's circumstantial uh, stuff that seems like any reasonable investigator would look at that information and think, hmm, this is something maybe we should at least include in the report and 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 try to seek interviews with some of these folks or you or would, dig into it a little bit. You know, you would, you would think you would reference it merely for a timeline of events. Right. Uh, but if if I'm recalling correctly, I think Coffee County was actually mentioned by name, Coffee County, Georgia, in those draft executive orders. Uh, and if you're a, a, a state investigative body looking into what happened in that county, they mentioned Coffee County in the draft executive orders. I don't know how you cannot mention that. Exactly. Coffee County is mentioned in those draft executive orders, which, you know, and those those orders were a subject of conversation in that December 18th meeting. We know that from the January 6th committee depositions and various other, you know, yep. public and well-known reports. The other thing that uh, I discussed in the piece that I wrote is we found um, in our review of, of the kind of body of evidence, in addition to the curling case, our, our, in, our, in the course of my reporting, found social media posts that placed Kathy Latham in yep. D.C. staying at the Willard Hotel, which at that time was the kind of uh, so-called command center for mm -hmm. the, the legal arm of the Trump campaign. Uh, and we found photos of, of Kathy Latham 
with Sidney Powell and Mike Flynn at the Trump Hotel, which is where those executive orders were drafted. Those photos were likely taken on December 16th or 17th. So in the in the very days leading up to that December 18th meeting. And then we also found um, another post in which Kathy Latham, you know, says that she had a a meeting with Mayor Giuliani. And and, uh, so there's just a lot of stuff that's going on in these days right before that December 18th meeting that again is very circumstantial but but is well, would be you know compelling evidence or or of interest to any reasonable investigator yeah uh, the the chair of the coffee county republican party and you know coffee county is a tiny little county in southeast uh, georgia the chair of the gop just happens to be in dc before the decision was made to breach the coffee county servers uh, Kathy Latham, and she, by the way, she's also now, she's indicted in Fonnie Willis's case for the Coffee County affair, and she was a fake elector as well. She's indicted for that. You would think that her flying to D.C. and being there and meeting with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani would sort of come up in an investigation of the Coffee County affair. And yet, is it not even mentioned that Latham went to D.C. and met with these people? The only uh, thing that is mentioned about D.C., uh, they mention that in Kathy Latham's deposition in the curling case, she mentions that she went to D.C. and stayed at the Willard as a part of a tour group which Kathy Latham did do that. I, I interviewed someone who was also on that core group, Jason, Jason Shepard, uh-huh. uh, and he confirmed that she she did do that, but he, he the way he described it was she kept disappearing during that trip, and, uh-huh. and, and he, in retrospect, found her behavior quite odd because, you know, she seemed to be disappearing, and then when they returned from the trip, he learned uh, one of the reasons why, which is that she had been meeting with Sidney Powell and he said, you know, she had been kind of bragging about it. Interestingly, he said he'd never heard anything about her meeting with Giuliani, uh, which within, you know, the the group that she went with was a group of conservative Georgians. And, you know, he he found it odd that she maybe did not mention meeting with Giuliani, uh, given that he is, you know, a kind of celebrity within conservative circles and and just a celebrity in general but especially you know someone that that group of folks would be particularly excited about meeting so and that none of that is mentioned but all that they do is just mention that she went to the willard with a tour group and and by the way uh, since we've had a couple of references here to the curling lawsuit that's marilyn marx's lawsuit against brad raffensperger that's been filed since 2017 to try to get rid of the touchscreen systems in georgia that uh, ultimately her good work on this is is what you heard at the the top with scott hall and you know she is the one in the civil lawsuit who ended up revealing all of this stuff that ended up in fonnie willis's criminal case uh and this frankly um pathetic uh, investigation by the GBI. And when it comes to Kathy Latham, I want to also note here that she claimed in her depositions in the curling case that, oh, she was not at the elections department for more than five minutes just to welcome in in Coffee County, just to welcome the, the people who were examining the voting systems. As it turned out, 
later on when Marilyn Marks eventually got at those security camera uh, tapes, the footage from inside the Coffee County Election uh, Department. Turns out Kathy Latham was there for hours and actually seen, as uh, Marilyn told us at one point, giving a back rub to Scott Hall uh, on those tapes. So she lied in her own deposition. All of this stuff is known when the GBI goes to look at all of this stuff and yet leaves it out. And Anna Bauer, I'm going to ask you both why you think that is and why it matters. But there's a couple of other omissions I want to very quickly try to fly through here with you. One is, uh, you, you know, they they never interviewed Rudy Giuliani. They did not. They didn't interview Rudy Giuliani. They didn't. I and I and I. I don't want to get us too in the weeds, but there's a lot of people they didn't interview. They most of the people yep. that they interviewed were kind of Coffee County level folks. Uh-huh. Uh, as it seemed like they. Uh, were very much reluctant, maybe, to uh, interview beyond the Coffee County level, and and they didn't interview a lot of the people who might have potential knowledge about how what the connection is to the Trump campaign and to some of these these figures like Giuliani, mm-hmm. um, and then the, some of the other people that they did seek to contact, like uh, Sidney Powell, Jim Penrose, uh, those people who were kind of the Trump campaign level folks, uh, they waited until the investigation was about to wrap up to even try to contact those people. So it was like about a year after they started the investigation that they first tried to reach out to those folks. And then there is Mike Lindell. The pillow, the my pillow <laughs> guy, uh, he's part of this story. We've uh, discussed it and have investigated it at brandblog.com over the years, trying to learn what actually happened. Uh, Marilyn Marks' team was able to determine that Lindell actually flew into this uh, to the, the the tiny rural Douglas, Georgia airport. Douglas is the county seat in Coffee County. He flew in in his private jet. After going apparently from Mar-a-Lago up to D.C. and then down to this tiny airport in uh, in Coffee County and sort of in the middle of the night, he was there. His plane was there for about two hours the day after his attorney had been apparently exchanging text messages with Misty Hampton, the uh, coffee's then election supervisor. But. There are uh, myriad different explanations that Lindell has given for that short visit. Does the GBI report add any light or clarity to that weird event? And for that matter, did they even interview Lindell? They did not interview Lindell. They they interviewed a man named Eddie Cheney, who is a part-time uh, employee at the airport. He was at the airport on the evening that Mike Lindell's jet appeared on the tarmac. And Eddie, I interviewed him after we obtained the GBI report as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both the GBI report and then in the interview that I, I did with Eddie, he, he says that the evening that Mike Lindell showed up, he said that the he was there to attend an event at Atkinson County High School, which is one of the local high schools. Um, interestingly, it's the high school that Misty Hampton attended actually. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, so, so it, he, he says that, but what the GBI report doesn't note and, and which I, 
imagine they had to have been aware of because uh-huh. there was this article that the Washington Post wrote about the whole Coffee County saga. It is one of the, you know, kind of articles that is is what made the public aware of of what happened mm-hmm. in Coffee County. Um, it's I'm I would be shocked if the GBI had not read that article. And in that article, they report uh, that Lindell had landed in Douglas on on that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they say that they contacted him and he said, Oh, I was there because I was meeting with pillow entrepreneurs about uh, <laughs> cooling towel samples. And and the GBI report does not mention that discrepancy between what Eddie Cheney said that Lindell was doing there at the time and then, you know, what Lindell later said about meeting with uh, cooling towel and entrepreneurs. And so I contacted him about that discrepancy he told me that he was probably in Douglas around that time to visit one of his product vendors for for my pillow so kind of similar to the the reason that he gave to the Washington Post but he he said that he could not recall attending an event at the high school but he noted that he had given speeches at high schools in the past and and he also told me that he would did did not want to give me contact information for any of the my pillow vendors near Douglas, Georgia. Uh-huh. Um, uh, he he said that, and the reason he gave for that is that he said that the media attention that he has received around various you know election related matters has yeah. put strain on some of his business relationships. And he also said that he does not know Misty Hampton, um, although I will note that he has in the past shared uh, a video that that Misty Hampton made mm-hmm. in the wake of the 2020 election at his you know election symposiums that he does and that kind of thing. And when I asked him why she had the MyPillow website up on her browser the night before uh-huh. uh, he arrived, he said, maybe she likes MyPillow. Yes, that's so, it. <laughs> but I'm, none of that is in the GBI report. None of that matters, apparently, to the GBI. I, You know, uh, uh, Lindell has made up a lot of stories about whatever happened, why he flew in for a couple of hours to this tiny airport uh, to look at you know, pillow samples that I guess could not be FedExed to him. Instead, he had a fly in his private plane to look at them. A lot of different stories from him, a lot of different stories from Kathy Latham, and frankly, a lot of different stories from Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger about all of this. Uh, Anna Bauer, I I hope I'd like to take a quick break here. I want to come back and ask you, why? What is going on here? Why is there such a cover up from, you know, supposedly Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp are big enemies of Donald Trump? Why do they sort of seem to be helping him out here in all of this? And I want to discuss why it all matters, why we keep going back to Coffee County and uh, why you do as well at Lawfare. Let me take a quick break and we'll be back with Lawfare's great Anna Bauer right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad here at The Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. 
please stop by bradblog.com donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Think we ever left. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Speaking with Anna Bauer of Lawfare, their uh, legal legal fellow and court correspondent, about what is apparently one of my favorite topics in the world: the uh, breach of statewide voting systems in Coffee County, Georgia, back in 2020 by Trump operatives. Uh, that has still not fully been investigated, even by the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. The GBI uh, filed a 400-page report that uh, Anna, Bowers, Anna Bauer writes about at Lawfare this week, finding that they discovered almost nothing new. They repeated everything uh, pretty much. Well, not even everything. They repeated the stuff they did report was stuff that was already publicly known, thanks to media reports, thanks to Marilyn Marks and the Coalition for Good Governance and her lawsuit. Um, and Anna Bauer, thanks for sticking with us. Your report at Lawfare, frankly, has much more granular detail on what is not in the GBI report regarding Coffee County uh, than what is actually in the GBI report on the uh, Coffee County conspiracy. You write, quote, that the GBI does not appear to be aware of these facts. This is after you've written about all they have omitted here. Um, however, it suggests either the agency took an unduly narrow approach to the scope of its investigation or that it did not conduct a thorough investigation. An investigation, I should note, that has gone on, that went on for about a year, year and a half, and we're now uh, more than two and a half years since the breach of the voting system software in, uh, on January 7 of 2021. So the big question is... I guess. Uh, why was the GBI, is the GBI trying to help Donald Trump, trying to help uh, Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, Republican Governor Brian Kemp, who used to be the uh, Secretary of State? Do you have any idea what is going on here? This does not seem like a legitimate criminal investigation. You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of insight into the why of it all. I know that you you probably have thoughts on that, Brad. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I certainly think that the political aspect of the of, of all of it is 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 something that uh, is is almost certainly relevant. Um, you know, although Brad Raffensperger and and Brian Kemp are have kind of made a name for themselves of in some respects, standing up to Donald Trump and, and his election lies, you know, it still is something that this, uh, the Coffee County matter is just a politically 
complicated matter for them because they have to contend with the fact that, you know, half of the Republican Party in Georgia still believes that the 2020 election was stolen and and believes some of the things that some of these people who were involved with this um, believed. Uh, some of these people like, uh, you know, are are politically well connected uh, who were involved in this. So there, there's some complicated factors here. But so I, I'm not sure the why of why of it all. But I, what I will say is, it seems to me like it's a little bit like a investigative hot potato in the sense that you know the Secretary of State requested assistance from the GBI. The GBI did this investigation that, as I have you know write in the in the piece, that is is badly inadequate based on what's in the report. Mm-hmm. But they knew all along that the you know Fulton County District Attorney uh, was conducting. At least in part, an investigation that that looked into the matters in Coffee County, and so it feels a little bit like uh, it, it might have been convenient for them to just wait and see what the Fulton County District Attorney does, and then you know if she pursues some aspects of the Coffee County matter, then, you know, they're off the hook and, and they can just kind of uh, wait, wait out the Fulton County indictment. I think they'd be happy to, to do that. But the problem with that is that, you know, this the the GBI jurisdictionally is not as limited as the Fulton County District Attorney's investigation. Mm-hmm. They're also not as resource limited in, in, in as the Fulton County District Attorney's office is. Uh, so if there was going to be and, oh I should back up and say and also there's the fact that it seems like the special counsel's office and the Department of Justice are, are so far at least not necessarily very interested in, in what happened in Coffee County. And so all of that kind of taken together, it, it means that it, it fell to the GBI to, to thoroughly investigate what is, in my view, uh, as alleged in Fulton County, a, a serious crime that that could have some dangerous implications for future elections, yep. and and they did not do so. Uh, so I, again, I'm not sure of the why, but there's a lot of political aspects here that that seem to point to, you know, uh, it is convenient for Attorney General Chris Carr, for Brad Raffensperger to kind of let the Fulton County District Attorney's office look like it is the one that will pursue uh, accountability for Coffee County. But it it, well, it really is something that it should not end with the, the Fulton County indictment. Well, uh, Anna Bauer, you've looked at a lot, uh, I suspect, uh, over your career. You've looked at a lot of similar investigative reports, whether it's from the FBI or the GBI or, you know, other investigative bodies. Uh, uh, Have you seen anything that was so obviously leaving out critical matters to the very things that they are supposedly investigating? I mean, you know, if if not a a cover-up or a whitewash or whatever one one might want to call it, clearly this is a deficient report given what it was we thought they were or they claimed you know one of the things that brad raffensperger the secretary of state has said uh over the past couple of years is that well we're not looking into it because now it's a criminal matter it's been referred to the gbi so we'll just wait for their report i i have isn't it obvious that there's something going on with this report some reason for these deficiencies even if we don't know what they are 
Yeah, yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I, I also will say sometimes the the answer is simple incompetence. Um, I, I don't think that that is, uh, you know, I've seen just pure incompetent reports. Yeah. Um, and that, and, that, and uh, but I think that uh, you're right in that, you know, the it's again. It seems to me that the attorney general's office is probably just content to kind of, you know, say the district, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office has already pursued this. So we're, you know, this and and kind of let it let it go at that. Yeah. Um, so it, it in and again, you know, it. That is something that for for many reasons is just not uh, for for Georgians who care about elections, uh, for Georgians who, you know, think that it is very serious that the then president's legal team, aided by, you know, local uh, allies in Coffee County, uh, had a plot, a conspiracy to copy and distribute Georgia's most sensitive voting systems data, that is incredibly serious. Yeah. I, uh, and it's it warrants a serious investigation, and that just didn't happen here. Yeah, I mean, if this was uh, incompetence, they were quite competent in uh, the, pulling off their incompetence. They had to work right. hard uh, to leave so many pieces out. Uh, Anna Bauer, I've got just a, a minute or two left, but the final section of your report at Lawfare is headlined, Why It Matters. So I will just ask, why does all of this matter? After all, Fonnie Willis uh, has indicted, uh, what, five of the main players in the in the Coffee County breach. Uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is said to have replaced the breached voting system servers down in uh, Coffee County. Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, they're indicted on 13 counts each in Willis's Fulton County racketeering case. Um, the conspiracy has now sort of been exposed to the world. Why does the lack of a thorough probe by the GBI actually matter here? Well, look, I, I and I, I kind of just talked about this, so I don't want to, you know, dig into it too much. But again, you know, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office investigation, it was already a sprawling investigation from a county district attorney's office, which you typically is limited just to Fulton County because the the district attorney chose to go through a RICO case or a, a racketeering mm -hmm. case that allowed her to kind of expand her jurisdiction in a sense but, and look into the matters in Coffee County. But what we see in that indictment is that she's still very uh, conscious of trying to tie the events in Coffee County uh, closely to uh, jurisdiction in Fulton County. So mm -hmm. she she kind of makes a lot of the fact that Sullivan Strickler is uh, is based in Fulton County, for example. And mm -hmm. so she's saying that, you know, Latham and Hall and Hampton aided and embedded uh, the employees of Sullivan at Strickler to access the elections data on January 7th. But I mean, there's uh, 30 something unindicted co-conspirators in that indictment in mm -hmm. Fulton County, uh, some of them who are people who either helped um, uh, allegedly helped, you know, coordinate uh, the Coffee County breach, or received or distributed copies of the data, uh, and and you know because of 
the resource limitations and the jurisdictional limitations of the Fulton County case, it was up to the GBI to investigate this alleged conspiracy. There, there, as, as you are well aware, Brad, it wasn't just these folks who went into the elections office in Coffee County. There were subsequent breaches. There were people who received or distributed or sought access to the data. And, and so my point in the piece is just, those are things I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, I'm or coming to any conclusions about um, whether charges should or should not be mm-hmm. be brought against those people because that's, uh, you know, not for me to decide. But what I am saying is that it, that is deserving of a serious investigation. And in terms of the potential consequences of of the breach itself is I think what is most concerning just from a you know future deterrence perspective. Yep. Um, you know, Coffee County servers, as you said, they were replaced, but Georgia continues to use the same software. And yep. and the Secretary of State's office has said that there will not be an update before the 2024 elections. <laughs> and and election security experts. Uh, at least at least some election security experts have mm-hmm. said that, uh, you know, that means that we could have increased risk in terms of vulnerability during the 2024 election. Yep. There's a few reasons for that. Uh, that software data that has been distributed and is still out in the wild at, from Coffee County could be used for disinformation campaigns because uh, people can take the otherwise, uh, you know, legitimate data and kind of make it look either edited or kind of selectively presented right. as as was done with the Antrim Michigan report um, that that folks might remember from the 2020 election was kind of um, used to spread disinformation about the 2020 election or you know there's the the question of whether adversaries could basically use that software to test it for vulnerabilities and right. um, and then potentially use that in in uh, future in the future for you know subverting the operation of that software through malware or other right. uh, other, yeah. In other words, it's not just a matter of accountability for the people who committed this crime, but it's a matter of accountability because we've got an election to run next year that will be using these very same systems that were uh, breached, copied, distributed all over the country and the world by these folks. And Raffensperger, Brad, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, has still not taken any actual action to protect against it next year. And I'll just leave you with this uh, one more point before I have to get out, Anna. But, uh, you know, as broad as the Coffee County conspiracy actually appears to be, creating a statewide voting system problem in Georgia uh, for 2024, uh, and other jurisdictions around the country that use this, um, the, the similar systems. But this, and you referred to this a little bit and, and included it in your story, this was ultimately a multi-state conspiracy. And as much as Raffensperger in the state of Georgia is trying to make all of this go away and downplay it, it's still unclear to me that the Federal Bureau of, the Federal Bureau of Investigations uh, or Special Counsel Jack Smith is investigating any of that broader conspiracy either. Do you share those concerns? Do you see any evidence in this report that uh, uh, that Jack Smith is, is or the FBI is doing that? I have not seen. I, I 
am not aware. And I, you know, periodically I submit open records requests to Coffee County for any communications between the special counsel's office or DOJ or Mm -hmm. federal law enforcement bodies. The Coalition for Good Governance also does that as well. Mm -hmm. I have not seen any signs from any of that, that there's been any communications uh, or subpoenas or any kind of efforts uh, or at least public efforts or, or not public, but efforts that are, um, you know, uh, that there's public documentation of by the special counsel's office or DOJ. There has been at least one report by CNN uh, that, that has reported that the special counsel's office has asked questions about the the voting machine breaches. Um, I did speak to uh, one person that they uh, that, that they also interviewed in that article, Mike Ryan, who was interviewed by the special counsel's office. He did say that there were some questions that were asked about Coffee County in, in his inter- interview. But I, other than that, I have not seen any other signs that there is a... Um, you know, a a full investigation of these multi-state breaches. And and so that in itself is concerning. Well, Uh, keep keep banging that drum over at Lawfare because it's not just, it's certainly not a local story. It's definitely a state story, but it is a multi-state and a national story. Uh, So that's why uh, your detailed reporting, Anna, is so critical over there. And I will, of course, link over to your report uh, headlined What the GBI Missed in Coffee County at almost 400 pages. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation report in the Coffee County caper looks impressive. It is not. I will link uh, to that uh, critical story, Anna. She is the uh, Lawfare's legal fellow and courts correspondent. You can, should, and must follow her on the site still known as Twitter at Anna Bauer, uh, otherwise lawfaremedia.org. Really good to speak with you, Anna. Hope you don't mind if we uh, bother you again in the near future. Uh, you're terrific. Please Thank do. You. All right. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much for having me. You bet. Thank you. Okay, and we got to get out. Des, I had to dump everything I had otherwise planned for the show. I know. What a mess. What a royal, royal mess. A royal mess that uh, takes a lot of time to discuss and explain (laughs) and make sense of. And we still haven't made sense of it, but we'll keep trying. And it's kind of important. Kind of. Not that the rest of the world understands that yet, but maybe they will. All right, we got to get out. Uh, Thanks again to uh, Anna Bauer. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We uh, hope it was worth your while. You can, if you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you, thank you, who are kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and keep working this bone like a dog. All right, uh, that's it. Drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. to the broadcast. 
We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.